So, uh, hey, I, I don't know if you realize this, uh, but um, I, at one time in my life, I had an acting career. Okay, short-lived as it was. I think we got a picture up here. <clears throat> yeah, that's me. You can't see it very well. There's Jeff, got the cotton ball beard and uh, the robe. And so uh, the church, my parents went to a Presbyterian church in Dallas, and uh, I was a part of that. And every year they put on a children's play or a children's musical, and somehow I got chosen to be Nebuchadnezzar in my school's play. You see these guys over here, they're suffering in the fire right there. Look at those feet. Those are some burning feet. Anyway, uh, so I really enjoyed this, being the lead, uh, prancing around, as I said, with my cotton beard, my long robe, and just barking orders and being a tyrant in general. Uh, my mom says she truly regretted <laughs> uh, ever letting me be that because when I got home for the next four to six months, I was, you know, it didn't work, but I was uh, ordering my dinners and my breakfasts and all of this. And uh, anyway, um, ultimately, I had to repent of that. But, you know, I had uh, a few other opportunities to be a part of plays, uh, of plays with my church and uh, a couple with my um, with my school, uh, but I don't think I ever reached the heights that I was as the emperor, uh, as the leader, as the ruler of, uh, uh, not Cyrus, what's the name of it? The ruler of Babylon, yes. So anyway, but uh, as I talk about uh, a uh, leader and a ruler, I want to tell a story to you about the emperor's seed. So we see here, there was a Chinese emperor and he had, no, uh, he had no heir, and he decided in his heart he wanted to find an heir, someone to take over for him, and so he developed a plan, and he developed a test in order to find someone to follow after him when he went, and uh, so what he did was he called children from every village in China, and he brought them to his palace, and he entrusted them with something. He said to the children, here, each and every one of you, I'm giving you a seed, and I want you to plant the seed, water it, tend to it, take care of it, and then after a year, I want you to come back, and I want you to present what has grown, and I want you to present this to me, and then, and then at that point in a year, I'm going to make my decision on who becomes my heir. So uh, a little boy by the name of Ling uh, ended up going back to his village. He had received his seed. His mom helped him to pick out a little uh, a pot. I don't know what size pot, a rather large pot, and uh, put some uh, um, soil in it, and he began to water it. And uh, in his particular village, Ling, the children, uh, they would gather around every week, and they'd come together, and they'd kind of compare what was going on with their different plants. And uh, after a few weeks, Ling still had nothing in his pot. And so he came, and, and these other children began to have of, uh, bushes and, and trees, flowering plants, and beautiful stuff coming up in their pots. And Ling had nothing, and so the other children began uh, to mock him and to begin to make fun of him. And uh, he was pretty discouraged about it. But Ling, the little guy, at the encouragement of his mom, he remained faithful. He kept watering that seed every day. He watered the seed, and he watered it. And after a year, guess what Ling had in his pot? Nothing. Nothing grew in his pot. 
And so he's very nervous about this because the the, uh, emperor has called all the children to come back to the palace to present. And he said, Mom, I'm going to get in trouble. I can't go back. And she said, no, honey, you need to go. You've done what was asked of you. You need to go back like a good mom. Aren't we thankful for moms today? Anyway, so Ling goes back with the children in his village and the children from all the villages around China. They gather together, and the emperor um, begins to inspect their work. And so the emperor goes around, and he looks at uh, several of the different children's trees and bushes and flowering plants and some impressive stuff. And these kids were, you know, uh, puffing out their chests, trying to look regal and uh, all of this. And, and finally, the emperor comes to Ling, and he looks in Ling's pot, and he just says one phrase. He says, what happened here? And Ling says, well, I've watered the plant. I've given it, you know, I've done what you've asked, and nothing's come, come about. And so he heard the emperor mutter something, and he walked on. And so um, the emperor kept looking around again and again. Uh, at all of the different trees and plants and shrubs of all the kids, and these kids were proudly, you know, uh, displaying this. And, you know, the kids were, some of the kids around him were snickering at Ling. Well, at the end, the, the emperor stands up front and he says, you know, I've really seen a lot of beautiful displays out here, and I can tell that many of you uh, are, you are looking and will do anything in order to become my heir. But there is one boy that I want to Uh, talk about today, and it's about a boy who brought me nothing. Ling, would you come forward? And so Ling is just terrified, feeling like he's going to get called out. So Ling comes forward, stands before the emperor, and the emperor says this. He says, boys or uh, children, when when, uh, I gave you the seed at the beginning of uh, the year, and I told you to go home and plant it, I had boiled these seeds, and so they were no longer viable. They were no longer able to produce anything. And uh, he said, Ling has gotten a hold of the concept that I want in a ruler. Uh, It is more important to have integrity and courage than to have boastful displays. So Ling will be my heir. That is what I'm talking about today. Uh, This is a simple story about a little boy who walked in a way that was uh, a, a difficult way and that what he had done didn't seem to be very impressive. But I'm here to tell you that there is something today I want to talk about that's just like Ling's pot, just like his empty little pot that seems unimpressive, that seems uh, unimportant, and that seems um, that is unseen, that is so vitally important for us to have in order to rule in our generation as Ling ruled in his. And you may ask me, what is that secret thing that's not looking impressive, that is unseen? I'm here to tell you, uh, it is not a social media following. It is not a position of influence. It's not nice clothes, cars, or possessions. Praise God for those when they come. And I am here to tell you that many people do have things such as popularity and and prosperity and all of that. But something that I want to talk to you about, the hidden power source of purity. Purity is that hidden power source. Now, 
uh, I want to mention an accountability, uh, a definition of purity from an, uh, this place called Accountable to You. It says, as a pure person, you desire a clean and whole life free from corruption and compromise. Your desire for purity leads you to avoid and resist temptation that would pollute you or weaken your character. Purity describes who you are as well as what you do. The, the, the concept I want us just to have, have in our hearts today as I talk, I want you to hear it in your heart again and again. Purity is the unseen power source to transform a generation. I'll say that one more time. Purity is the unseen power source to transform a generation. I want to make an important note here today, though, before we turn to the Word of God. Anybody excited about turning to the Word of God? I'm not talking about, when I say purity, I know there are a lot of thoughts that come out there, and I am speaking about moral, moral perfection or purity in one sense, but I am not talking about us striving and us feeling condemned and us feeling um, that we have to attain to some measure of bleached whiteness perfection. I am talking, when I talk about purity, mainly about a God who is committed to purifying his people. A God who is more committed to your purity than you are to your own. A God who sees you sully yourself and me, myself, again and again and again, and he picks you up and he says, let me cleanse you, let me purify you. It's as Pastor Robert said last week, which I think is very important, the only thing that can disqualify us from this journey of purity is us rejecting the grace and the mercy of God. It's not a matter. So you may come in here today and have a lot of opinions. I like this quote. I'm a quotes guy sometimes. Right, Tricia? I like quotes. Here's a quote I want to begin with. A lady, Sheila Ray Gregory, is a um, Christian author and speaker. Your purity is not based on what you have done with your body, but on what Jesus has done with his. I'm about to get excited about Jesus, Gabriel. I'm not going to double quote everything. I'm going to say it again, though. Your purity is not based on what you've done with your body. It's based on what the Lord of heaven has done with his. He bled and he died and he rose again on our behalf. So we are pure because he is pure. What I want us today is to begin to live a life where we walk purely because we know the pure person we are rather than trying to attain to something that we think will never be. You are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away, and the new will come. So today we're going to look at a transitional figure in the Bible, and his name is Samuel. Um, I love the name Samuel. My wife's middle name is Sammy. So, and her whole family is like an Italian family. You know, they all have the name Sam in it. Well, Samuel is a, uh, a very important uh, key figure, and he stands between two key periods in the Bible. And the first period is the period of the judges. It was a 410-year period uh, after Joshua where uh, different rulers would come up, different judges or rulers would come up and deliver the, deliver the nation of Israel. 
And um, then this whole cycle of sin and, and uh, everything would take place, and then God would come again. Aren't you glad that God comes again and again and again whenever we turn to him? But anyway, this whole cycle has come. There's 410 years, and then uh, the last uh, priest that was uh, the judge that was ruling at that time was a man by the name of Eli. And then at Eli came Samuel, and we'll talk about him in a second. And then after that, Samuel anointed the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David, and uh, he transitioned. See, here was a man that had an unseen power source for his generation of purity, and he was able to transition Israel from a dark period in which in Judges it says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But he transitioned them to a place where they are under a king by the name of David who leads them in righteousness and everyone is eating under his own vine and fig tree. Praise his holy name. Do you know this is such a day where God wants to raise up a generation of Samuels. God wants to raise you up as a Samuel and uh, to transform your generation. You see, this generation is not much different in some ways than that generation. Would you say in this generation that people are doing what is right in their own eyes. But see, God is looking down today. The eyes of the Lord are roaming throughout the face of this earth, roaming throughout this tent. He's looking for the hearts that are fully his. Someone who will embrace this message of purity, not based on what they can perform with or what they can do, but based on coming to a pure God again and again and saying, purify my heart, O God. Let's head to Samuel. Samuel was the son of a promise. Woo! Son of a promise. I was the son of a promise. I had five blood transfusions as a child, and my parents called out for me that I would live. They said I might have brain damage, and, uh, you know, the jury's still out on that one, but I am living. <clears throat> I've made it 50, low 54 years here. <clears throat> But anyway, I think it's interesting. His mother, Hannah, went to the temple that Eli was ruling in. I mean, Eli was, was serving as the priest in. And she went to the temple grieved in spirit. Anybody here ever been grieved in spirit, burdened in spirit? Because she did not have a child. She was unable to bear children. And she was mocked for this fact. She was mocked for this fact. And, and uh, in, in her day and age, it was, such a, uh, uh, it was such a shameful thing to not have a child. Um, and uh, she began to call out to God. And Eli, the high priest at that time, thought she was drunk. Eli wasn't really on top of his game as far as, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But Eli finally figured out she wasn't drunk. And he said, go now and receive what you've asked of the Lord. She cried out to the Lord. And what did God give her? He gave her Samuel. Samuel, which means God hears. Samuel means God hears. He's the son of a promise. Well, I think it's significant that Samuel was born out of prayer and that his name means God has heard because I believe that just as Hannah has called out for Samuel and heard her and, uh, and the Lord heard her cry, there are an army of praying mothers. There are an army of praying fathers who have been crying out to God and saying, Lord, raise up spiritual children who will transform this world. 
through purity. And I do believe that you in this tent are an answer to prayer. Just as Samuel is an answer to prayer, you're an answer to prayer for this generation. You may not feel like it. Since when have feelings been a great uh, leader of, of whether uh, something is true or not? You may not feel like it, but I'm saying you're an answer. Say, I'm an answer to prayer. For some of you, it's hard to say that, but I'm here to tell you, you are an answer to prayer for this generation. Let's look at Samuel now and the five areas of purity that God used in him to transform his generation. The first area of purity is the power source of the purity of devotion. Let's look here. The boy Samuel, it says in 1 Samuel 2.21, grew up in the presence of the Lord. You know, after Samuel was born, Hannah offered him up to the Lord. What a risky thing that was for her to do. It was the only child. She, she, her only child that had ever been born, the son of a promise, and she offered him back up to the Lord, and, and he went to the temple. He went to the temple every year. And so, you know, the first year his mom brought him a little, you know, a little Samuel uh, onesie. And then she brought him a Samuel twosie and a threesie. And eventually she brought him a robe every year up to the, uh, up to the um, temple. But Samuel had only God to lean on. Samuel didn't live with his family. But Samuel had the purity of devotion. He grew up in the presence of the Lord. The other children of his day weren't growing up in the presence of the Lord at that degree, but Samuel himself had a purity of walking in the presence of the Lord. And is anybody here thankful for Jesus? You can grow up. There can be a hundred. Every one of us can grow up in the presence of the Lord. If you didn't grow up in the presence of the Lord, you can start being and enjoying the presence of the Lord today because of the blood of Jesus. Samuel was anointed to be in the presence of the Lord. The blood of Jesus anoints us to be in the presence of the Lord. You know, the other thing that distinguished him, it distinguished him was his purity of devotion. Uh, my junior year of college, it was a while back there, Herb, <clears throat> many years ago, uh, I was in college, and God had gotten a hold of my life. I had, uh, I had fallen away from God and was in a radical, kind of radical, stupid party lifestyle, going crazy, and God got a hold of my life my junior year. And uh, there was a guy, hey, I've got something to tell you. I believe in discipleship. Anybody believe in it? We talked about our five Ds. What are the five Ds, by the way? Decision. You make a decision for Jesus. You get dunked through baptism. And baptism of the Holy Spirit. You get delivered. God delivers you, and he's continually delivering you and me. And then you get discipled, and God, and God deploys you. And it's actually not just all in one. You're, it's happening at all times. But anyway, this guy named Dan Holland, he was just a year or so older than me, and he just took a few minutes, a few times in his life, and I remember what he said to me 33 years later. Because he chose to disciple and to invest in me. We're sitting in the Memorial Student Center at Texas A&M. And he opens the Bible to Psalm chapter 73. 
And he reads through it, and he begins explaining some things to me. And there was a concept that struck me that has stayed with me from that day. And it says, the nearness of God is my good. There were things that it talked uh, about uh, how the psalmist saw that, that these people were doing everything they wanted. It seemed like they were prospering. It's just like Ling's empty pot. All the wicked, they're at ease and have no problems. I wake up every day and I'm beaten down and all of this. And he said, and I would have given up if I hadn't have entered into the counsel of God. Surely you place them in a slippery place. But me, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. And that's what I want to challenge us to today. You see, your time with Jesus is not about you performing some checklist. But it's the fact of a heart that burns that says, I want to live in this generation as someone who lives in the presence of God. Do you know you're living in the presence of God now if you would only acknowledge it? You're living in the presence of God when you drive to school if you would acknowledge it or you ride to school. You're living in the presence of God in your school, uh, in your class. You're living there. Practicing the presence of God is, is, is the expression. Time with Jesus every day should continue to flow to our whole lives, living in the presence of God. You know, uh, I, don't, I couldn't count. I mean, we could stack blocks on this, uh, this uh, stage right here, and you couldn't count the times I've failed, the times I haven't sought God as I should, the times I haven't. But I can tell you this. The blocks go all the way to the sky of God's faithfulness to me that I be devoted to him. Make God the first and foremost. Let the priority of your life to be living, not just in your devotion to him. That's where we get off. Why don't you just meditate on his devotion to you? It'll light you on fire. He's devoted to you. He chose you as the pearl of great price to give his life for. I know we choose him as our pearl, but he said, my bride, my people, I will give everything I have to have them. God's devoted to you. Let that reflect in you being devoted to him. There's the power source. I tell you, when someone is committed to learning this fact of not just seeking God daily, but when we stumble, we come back to him again and again and, and learning how to practice his presence in our daily lives. Oh, there's a power in that. Let me ask you a question. Is the nearness of God your good? It can be. It can be now. It can be at any time as you choose it, as you acknowledge it. The second thing is the power source of pure submission. Uh-oh. You know, submission is not a very fancy word, not a very popular word, but you see, submission is protection, not restriction. Submission has gotten a bad rap these days. But when you're submitted, you're ultimately submitted to God. You're not submitted to man, but you are submitted to those he's given you. Well, let me just speak the power source of pure submission. 1 Samuel 3, 8, and 9, then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. This is that same Eli. It was the priest, go and lie down if he calls you and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You know, eventually Samuel heard the audible voice of God. Do you know that? That's a really powerful experience. I've never heard the audible voice of God. I know people who have. 
And I believe I may, and, and praise God, you know, if that's what he chooses to do. But do you know what? Samuel never heard the audible voice of God until he learned how to submit to authority. Oh, that's so unpopular. Oh, that's so unpopular. I mean, you guys don't like me very much right now. But here's what I'm saying. This voice kept coming. This voice kept coming. He couldn't figure it out. He couldn't figure it out. He couldn't figure it out. And Eli wasn't super sharp right now spiritually. But finally, Eli realizes the Lord's speaking to him. Go back and say to the Lord, Lord, here I am, your servant. Speak, and I will do what you say. See, it took someone else for him to have his heart submitted to. Let me explain a little bit about, but you're like, you don't know my authority. Now, true, I'm not telling you stay in abusive relationships. I know Hitler was bad. I I know all of this stuff. That's not, I'm talking about a general heart in you to say, I acknowledge that God's the authority of all and those he puts in my presence, I can believe them. You see, if Daniel, if Daniel had sat around worrying about the megalomaniacs that he served, King Daniel in the Bible, the crazies that he served, he wouldn't have transformed them through his own life similar to Samuel's. These guys served nutcases, I'm sorry, but they transformed those guys by their submission to God and ultimately to them. And you know, sadly enough, I think we've practically completely lost this concept in our society. And it's because I don't think it's because we don't trust people. I think it's because we don't trust God. Anyway, let me tell you some inspiring things about Eli, and I'll move on. He was old. There's nothing wrong with being old. Let's hear it if you're in your 90s today. <laughs> Betty? Come on, girl. Does anybody love Betty? Well, this is Betty. I I love Betty. I want to be like her when I grow up. But anyway, he was old. Now, there's not a crime in being old, but being 98 years old wasn't like, you know, the young gun. You want to, you know, you understand what I'm trying to say. Okay, there's no judgment on this one, but it says it in the Bible, so I have to say it back. Eli was overweight. (laughs) He wasn't in good shape. He wasn't running his 5Ks. Now, at 98, you can be overweight. Don't worry about it. But what I mean by that is there was something in his life that, that, that was not disciplined. And so that's not very respectable. I'm, I'm fine with being, hey, believe me. You know, I'm not overweight. I'm under tall. But anyway... You know, he wasn't sensitive to God's voice. It says in Samuel's time that uh, Eli, it says, or it says in Samuel's time during Eli that the word of the Lord is rare because Eli hadn't cultivated a sense of that. And Eli's sons were renegades who were uh, sleeping with women at the temple and doing all kinds of gross stuff and, and ignored and totally disregarded their father. How respectful is that, Eli? No, but Samuel had to learn through submitting to the authorities that he was given. How lightly do we talk about the authorities that God's put in our life? I'm not just talking about our pastors or leading. That's not, it's not about us to serve. If we're not here to serve you, run for the hills, you know, that's fine. But what I mean is how often do we speak? How often do we rebel? 
Here's just one quote, and we'll be done. Got to move forward. Y'all tracking? All right, just wondering. Oh, Watchman Nee. People don't like reading it anymore, but I do. <laughs> Watchman Nee, a Chinese pastor who suffered a lot for his faith. He said it this way in his book, um, uh, Spiritual Authority. Just put that one up there. The flesh delights to see a defect in authority so as to throw off all restraint. That's the flesh working in us. We have a society. I mean, if, if you weren't bashing Trump, you're bashing Biden. Well, those are authorities, I, I, regardless. And you cannot like me, and that's okay. I love you. But the reality of the matter is, how do we speak about our authorities? Do we have to agree with everything they're doing right? No. They're not doing everything right. That's why they need you and me praying for them, interceding for them, calling out for them so that they will do right. Because oftentimes we get the leaders we deserve. We can transform leaders through our submission. If you don't believe it, look at Daniel. Look at David. Look at Joseph. Look at these men. And I love you. Okay, third point. I have to kind of pull off a little because, whoo. So here's my question for us today. Where has... Where have you thrown off restraint, and how has that affected your ability to hear and obey God? Is there an area you need to go make things right? Say, I really rebelled against you, and it's blocking some of the close intimacy I might have with God. Okay, let's go on. Power source of the pure inner life. Woo! I told you it wasn't all going to be easy here today, but it is good because God's committed to it. 1 Samuel 16, 4, when Samuel entered Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled. Let me see you tremble out there. Yeah. The elders of the town trembled and said, do you come peaceably? Man, this is the power of a pure, the power source of a pure inner life. This guy walks on the scene and the elders are like, would to the Lord that we as a people will be able to walk on the scene and because of the purity of our inner life, people shake under the presence and the power of God. You see, it was all the decisions Samuel made that no one saw but God. It was all the decisions he made to turn away and the decisions to turn to God. Areas such as lust, greed, arrogance, pride, they're things we've got to continue to allow God to purify us of. There's a desperate need in the body of Christ for those who are full of Samuel-like purity. You know, gifting is really important. Work on your gifting. But integrity, if you don't have it built on a solid base of purity and integrity, it will crumble every time and it will destroy many in its path. Several years ago, a spiritual mentor of mine by the name of Charles Davis. I honor him. He's probably 90-ish now. And he's been a leader in our movement, our overworld, worldwide movement. But uh, in the mid-'80s, the church that actually our ultimate movement came out of many years later had had a problem with this. The senior leader had fallen into sexual sin, and it wasn't just lightweight. It was heavy duty. And they needed an interim pastor. And, San, uh, and uh, Charles was a man that uh, was, um, had been walking with the Lord for many years and was actually leading a, a small missions organization and the, the search committee came up to him, and they said to him, hey, uh, Charles, <laughs> one thing that's just vitally important we got to get out of the way right now is your inner life. <laughs> we cannot afford another 
one of these situations um, that, that destroys a church. And here's what Charles said, and I think this describes this well enough, and I'll move to point four. Charles Davis said this. He said, brothers, I would not be embarrassed if my wife saw a video of my thought life. So guess who got hired? Guess who navigated that church twice through seasons? And guess who has a huge inheritance in the nations because of us and so many others? It was a man with the power in his generation because of the pure inner life. Number four, oh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I'll just throw this one out there. The pursuit of purity is not about a suppression of lust, but about the reorientation of one's life to a larger goal. If you're just trying to stay free of lust and perversion, your goal's too small. You're not going to get there. Get about the glory of God. Get about the glory of God. Get about the nations of the earth. Get about advancing his kingdom. Then you got some stuff to get free with. Power source of pure action, 1 Samuel 12, 3. Here I stand. This is the end of Samuel's life, and he's standing with the Israelites. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I've done any of these, I will make it right. Samuel, at the end of his life, this is a pretty intense moment, calls them all together. Who of you have I cheated? Who have I accepted a bribe on the side like my predecessors did, their sons and different ones? Who have I done this? I want you to tell me right now. And what did they say? Nothing. You've taken nothing from our hand, man, your whole life. Boom. Because Samuel had a life of purity in his actions. He was powerful before men. I think we lack confidence in our spiritual lives because we're sloppy about the purity of our actions. Once again, okay, I'll say it one more time. I don't know that I could. We lack confidence spiritually in our lives because we lack purity in our personal lives and in our actions. Now, this is not, again, I'm not, if at 24, I would have been telling you, work for it, do it, do it. We can do this. At 54, I'm just, oh, God, have mercy on us. But I can tell you, he'll do it. He's more committed to this process than you are. The only thing he can't work with is someone who says, I give up. It works for others. It doesn't work for me. Oh, poor me. I saw pornography at five. Well, and that's terrible, horrible, absolutely the worst. But I'm telling you, self-pity won't get us out of anything. You are not a product of the past. You're a product of the cross. And I, I have mercy on those of you who have suffered, specifically sexually as children. That is not a light matter. I don't mean that to come across lightly. But I'm telling you, I've said it before, I'll say it again. There is nothing Satan can mess up, God can't bless up. The power source of a pure purpose. I'm going to borrow a minute or two here, Stephen. But only one or two or five. First Samuel 2.35. <laughs> See, that's how you work it. You just kind of, uh, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and my mind. I will firmly establish his house 
and he will minister before my anointed always. Samuel lived with purity of purpose throughout the course of his life. I'm telling you, you know, me being pure in devotion at, at uh, 22 was one thing. You know, I'd go get my time with Jesus for four hours, you know, at the coffee shop. Woo! You know, it's not four hours at the coffee shop. It's four kids on top of me, you know, want me to play Tickle Man. How do I find intimacy with God in that season? You see, what's happened to some of us is our season has changed, but we're using the old technique. And it's like, it's not a technique, but it's like, how can you bring God into this season? I need a renewal in this season. Samuel never ran out of getting a new taste of God in his new season of life. That is good. I'm sorry. I met a guy yesterday. It's the pure purpose. Pure purpose. Soren Kierkegaard's book, The Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. What are you willing I met a guy uh, two days ago while I was working on this sermon at Starbucks. And I looked, I said, those look like first-generation Jordans, man. He said, yeah, I've got 60 pair of Jordans. And I said, there's a guy who has a purpose. And he's pure about it. But is his ladder leaning against the wall that matters? They were nice Jordans. They were black and red. They were either first or third generation. I don't know, Jason. I want to end with this, and then Stephen's going to come on up. There's a little woman. My mom was one of these little women, but I'm not going to talk about her. A little woman who, have you ever met one of these? A little woman who holds a powerful spiritual punch. My goodness, watch out for little women on fire for God. (laughs) They will transform your life. Anyway, I want to talk about a little woman by the name of Agnes. Let me see the name here so I can say it semi-wrong. Agnes Gancha Bojahu. She was born in Skopje, Macedonia in 1910. Anybody tell me what her name is? Mother Teresa. She was born. And in the 20s, she developed this missions organization called the Missions, uh, um, the, the Sisters of Charity. And she was involved for 20 years ministering India, in India, and God spoke to her, and he gave her a purpose. She was working with the purpose she had. You see, work with the purpose God's given you, then he'll show you the purpose for the next season. Don't try to find the purpose of the ultimate. Find the next thing God's told you to do. I'm just, oh, man. God told her, give it all away, sell it all, and serve the poorest of the poor. She developed a a missions organization of women in 1950. I think it was the Sisters of Charity. She had um, another group until that 20 years. And they gave themselves to the poor. And she said to every person she came in contact with, no matter how poor, no matter how despised the world was overlooking, she said, every one of them, when I look at them, they're Jesus in disguise. They're Jesus in disguise. And this woman lived many years. You see, it's interesting. Mother Teresa died on the same day as, as Lady Di. I don't know if you know this. Princess Diana. And she might have been overshadowed by Princess Diana in that moment. But I wonder what heaven says. I'm, I'm, God bless Princess Diana. <laughs> but I'm saying this woman, because she chose to give herself to God's purpose, she chose to give herself to an- anonymity, she chose to give herself to purity of purpose, she stood in 1994 before the prayer, uh, the, the daily prayer, I'm sorry, the, uh, help me with the name of it, the, the 
National Day of Prayer, thank you. She stood before their little and frail, little and frail behind the microphone. But the whole place was powerfully punched in the gut by her defense of the unborn because she had lived her life with pure purpose and she spoke against the policy of the administration at that day about the defense of the unborn, but it shook nations. And she was a woman who lived with purity of purpose throughout the course of her life and she transformed a generation. Here's what I wanna tell you today. Here's what I wanna tell you. Purity is the hidden power source to transform a generation. I want you to stand and we're gonna respond to God.